Let's pray. Father, you sent your Son into the world that we might listen to him. You asked us to listen to him. Help us to hear his voice 2,000 years after these words were first spoken. Help us, Father, for the sake of your Son and for his Gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Say word? Yep. All in favour say aye? I'm struggling, aren't I? <laughs> Let's do it. Abraham Heschel was a Jewish theologian and uh, he said this. He said that the Old Testament prophets, the guys in the Old Testament, they are one, each one is one who employs notes, one octave too high for our ears. Isn't that an extraordinary comment? The Old Testament prophet is one who employs notes, one octave too high for our ears. That is, they walked around and talked, but people didn't get it. They didn't hear, they didn't really hear what was going on. I, I said that quote to my wife and she said, she scratched her head, she said, it's a bit like a dog whistle, isn't it? You blow it, people don't hear it, but dogs do. Now, who is the dog in this scenario? <laughs> we are. <laughs> now, that is, the Old, the Old Testament prophets spoke in such a way that lots of people didn't actually hear or understand what they were saying. Now I reckon Heschel's words could easily apply to Jesus and his teaching with the crowds. That is, they didn't get him. <coughs> they just didn't get him. And if you read through a gospel in one sitting, which I highly recommend you do, you'd just be astounded at how few people actually got him. And you'd be astounded at which people got him or understood what he was saying. Chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel is the third major section of teaching by Jesus, and you can see it here. Chapters 5 and 7 you dealt with at the beginning of the year. Chapter 10, 13, 18, and 23 to 25. We're in chapter 13 today. Each section finishes with the same word, and when Jesus finished saying these things. Uh, we're in 13 this week. But as a reader of the Gospel, you're struck by the fact that the crowds don't get him and that maybe he's speaking one octave too high for their ears and that had dangerous consequences. It had dangerous consequences because it led directly to his death. Now isn't it true that most people today just don't get him? The gospel, the Christian gospel just seems too obscure. Mostly when you present the gospel of Jesus Christ, it falls on deaf ears. Is that, is that true? Is that harsh? Or is it just realistic? Uh, the first object of EU is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ and lead people to a personal faith in Him. But have you ever tried to invite a friend to EU? Um, some of you have invited friends before and they, they just don't come. By the truckload they don't come. Why? Why would that? Or you can invite friends and they've come and they've ticked the box and said, hmm, interesting, we should talk about that over coffee. But it's not, they're not really interested. Or maybe you've never invited anybody to the EU. I mean, there are a lot of different reasons for that, but I suggest that one of them, or at least one that I thought when I was in university, was the fear that it would all just fall on deaf ears. Now, my question is, why? Why is it like that? But I think the answer to that question can, well, can be answered uh, in some way by Jesus' use of the parables. Because in many ways it's no different from Jesus' day. That is this. We present the gospel of Jesus Christ here at EU. And I say we, by the way, because I feel a part of it after all these years. 
I'm an EUA. You, you can take the boy out of EU, but you can't take EU out of the boy. You present the gospel to people, and what they do is they scratch their heads and they say, that's not what my idea of life is about. And in Jesus' day, he had words about his kingdom, and people would scratch their heads in very real ways, and they would say, that's not what my idea of a kingdom is about. Now we're starting um, three weeks in the parables from Matthew's Gospel. The series is called, you'll see, Parables that Shock, Confounding and Firing the Imagination because they do shock and they do have the capacity to fire the imagination. You close your eyes, you expect the unexpected, you hear Jesus' stories and you, you're, you, you, can be, you can have your imagination fired. But the other side of the coin is that Jesus' stories often confound his hearers. They don't expect the Jewish Messiah to speak like this. And that's actually, if you've got your Bibles open in Matthew 13, that's exactly what the disciples ask when they come to Jesus in chapter 13, verse 10. Now, if you've got two, two Bibles with two people, then let's share the love. You know, say, I want to share with you. You don't know the person next to you, say, I still want to share with you. Um, look behind you if you've got a few people. Yeah, stop sharing the love. <laughs> It's a good thing to bring a Bible because then you'll be able to see that what I'm saying is from the Scriptures. In verse 10 of chapter 13, see, there's somebody wanting to share love right there. There you go. Anybody else want to, is looking to share love? I mean, I'm talking about a Bible here. Al Beecroft would love to give you a Bible. Anybody want one? Put your hand up if you'd like to see one. Right, two, two rows back, okay? Fantastic. There you go. Man in yellow, got to thank Alison afterwards. Slide back and say hi. Okay, there you go. That's what we call sharing the love. Okay, verse 10. Verse 10. The disciples come to him and they say, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Why bother? Why not, Jesus, just say it like it is? Why not straight shoot like you did in the Sermon on the Mount? Why take the risk at being misunderstood? Notice they didn't come to him and say, gee, it's nice you're talking simple stories that even children can understand and we're looking forward to using these in summer schools in centuries to come. No. Why do this at all? Why speak in parables? You know, we're talking about a Jewish Messiah. This is not what they expected. They had a deep expectation, many of you will know from annual conference and from other places, that when the Jewish Messiah came, there'd be a return of God to his people and involved in that would be the defeat of his enemies and the return from exile with all the things that that entails. so why talk at all, right? That's what the prophets did, they talked it's now time to not talk, it's now time to actually pick up a sword and Jesus doesn't pick up a sword, instead he picks up up, up, up words he picks up words why not organise the crowd to get politically active why not do that? I mean, you've got a crowd there, particularly the Galileans, who are willing and able to do just that. But instead he's carrying words, and you could say obscure words. Um, we do sense of the obscurity because we've heard some of them a lot of times, but, you know, somewhat abruptly as you read Matthew's Gospel, suddenly Jesus becomes a spitter of towels, an obscure one of that. He talks about farmers, you know, throwing seeds randomly. And he talks about... Um, Seeds and soils, and he talks about wheat. He talks about a woman needing dough and uh, uh, 
Secretly hiding things into us. Talks about fishermen and talks about uh, people going searching for pearls and weepers and part. Why? Why do that? Why take the risk at being misunderstood? Well, let's go to the text and find out why. On your outlines, I've got two points A and B. What the crowds heard. What the crowds heard. Well, here's what they heard they heard stories by the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> Presentation. That's what they heard. Super profound stories, simple but profound nonetheless. And they heard the boat, they got in the boat, sat there and spoke out to the crowds. I don't know whether the boat might have been a bit further in, but something like that. Now you can imagine being there, by the way. You can go there now and you can stand on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and the the ground might slope up at points steeply from the lake shore and curving sharply around a narrow inlet. Jesus would be in a boat and his, his words would come across clear and crisp across the water in the morning air. As the, the steep banks and the inlet acts like a well-designed theatre and Jesus had found the, the perfect place with perfect acoustics. And you can imagine the crowd, by the way, resenting every lap of water on rocks uh, or every piece of wind that rocked them with a single word because they're expecting something big from something huge from this guy. You imagine them saying they're going, Is this the Messiah? What's he gonna say? What does he do? He talks agricultural stories. So in verse three, a farmer goes out to sow a seed and as he's scattering seed, when you read it you realise that the farmer seems somewhat reckless with the seed. That is, some uh, fell on the path in verse 4. Not that particular path, but something like that maybe. And you can see in verse 4 that the, the seed goes there, birds come and ate it up. Uh, of course. <coughs> I mean, that's what birds do, right? They come looking for seed that's just over. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Some fell on rocky uh, places. In verse 5, nothing like that probably. <laughs> but you know, I'm trying to get the image in your head. But my friends actually were by the Sea of Galilee last year, and they don't often get me things on their overseas trips, and I'm still bitter about that. But they, <laughs> but they did get me some rocks by the Sea of Galilee, which I was very excited about. But it is interesting to think that these really did come from the Sea of Galilee. It's interesting to think that Jesus. When talking about farms, he could have pointed down to rocks by the Sea of Galilee and said some fell on rocky ground. And they could have been something like this. But of course, if it falls among rocky ground, it has real roots, so when the sun comes up, it scorches it and the plant dies. Of course. Some fell among the thorns, probably not lantana, but the thorns in verse 7, of course, choke up the plants. But some, People go, falls on good soil. And you've got the right conditions for a good crop. 160, 30 times, doesn't matter. At least it grows. You see that in verse 8. Of course. Now you're a listener. And you've come out to hear the Messiah. And you've got yourself a farmer. Actually, a carpenter pretending to be a farmer. And that can't be good. And that's all you hear except for verse 9 when he looks out at the crowd and says, If you've got an ear to hear, let him hear. He who has ears, let that one hear. And you go, 
Okay. I've got ears. What, what are you telling me? Are you telling me I'm not hearing? The one who has ears, let that one hear. I guess it should alert us to the fact that Jesus is saying, I know this isn't obvious, but you're going to have to think about it. Um, he's saying, I want you to struggle with this, because not all of you will hear what I'm saying. You'll hear it, but you won't hear it, because if God is, you ought to hear, because it's not a guarantee to hear, even if you have ears. I mean, it's pretty simple, isn't it? <laughs> he's saying, talk about it among yourselves, think it through. You know what the shock is for me? The shock is, to the crowd, this is uninteresting. To be confounded, by the way, is to be stunned, amazed, mystified, uh, bewildered, left speechless. This crowd's just hearing stories and going, we know about farming. Um, and I know this, by the way, I read the story and I go, I've been gardening. I've got a stack of it at home to do. It's not that interesting. But who knows what the crowd was thinking when they walked away. Granted, there are agricultural images. And in the prophets in the Old Testament, they use agricultural images to talk about Israel. But here, there's no damnation, there's no promise, there's no interpretation. Just simply the challenge to listen up. Because you've got ears. So there's a certain unavoidable ambiguity in the parables, and I think this is risky. And my question is, why take the risk? Jesus tells other stories, um, uh, and there's a good, good argument to believe that all the stories were said together by the Sea of Galilee, and then Jesus walked away. But the two sections in the in the parable where Jesus explains it to his disciples, or even when you read the text, you can see they came to him and asked him about the parables. So presumably, he said the parables to the crowd, all waiting and expecting the Jewish Messiah. And he uh, finishes and says, let's eat some glass and lunch. Here's some other stories he told. You can see it on the right hand side at the top. He told a story about some weeds, and you can see that in verses 24 to 30. We won't look at it all, but basically it's saying the kingdom of heaven is like some weeds sowed by an enemy into a, a farmer's crop where he carefully planted wheat. Planted wheat, some enemies come in and planted weeds in there, and the servants come and say to him, uh, Weeds are growing with the, the wheat, you want to rip it out together. And the, in the story, the, the owner says, No, no, let it grow until harvest time, and then we'll sort it out. And Jesus goes, Have you got ears? Think about it. I'm told the story about a mustard seed in verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. That is, it starts off small, but it grows to be the, the biggest plant. It's not quite true, so Jesus is saying it with a twinkle in his eye. Um, uh, a mustard seed? You think about that? One writer I read said that, um, he pointed out, you can't imagine us singing in our congregations, Our mighty mustard seed is our God. A bulwark never failing. I mean, it's a mustard seed. They're going, not a mustard seed, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a mustard seed. Or uh, a story about a woman baking in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who cheaply hides yeast into dough. That is the same sort of idea. It starts off small, but it really affects everything. A bit like uh, putting Condi's crystals into a shrimp pool. <laughs> For you people who just finished year 12. It just affects everything, turns it into jelly. And Jesus says, Have you got ears? Don't listen up. 
There's a story about a hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. It's hidden, yeah, it's not that obvious. But when a person finds it, he realizes it's so valuable, so good, so wonderful, that it's worth selling everything he has to go get it. Jesus goes, think about it. Or a man searching for a pearl. This is not a treasure hidden, but a man searching, which has a dynamic to it, doesn't it? Kingdom of Heaven is like a man searching for treasure, pearl, say. When he finds it, sells up to get it. And the last one, which is not only our lines, it must have come in underneath the text box, is a story about a net in verse 47 to 51. Kingdom of Heaven is like a net that is got fishermen, they put the net into the lake, they pull up good fish and bad fish, and then there's some shorting out. Which perhaps alludes to the fact that there will be individual judgments in Israel and not just corporate, not just Israel versus Rome. But I get ahead of myself. Because Jesus doesn't explain that. He just says, you've got the issue here, let him hear. Okay, we can finish the talk right here. It's 1.27. That's not right, by the way. Don't you think it's right? <laughs> we can finish the talk right here. In fact, perhaps we ought to. Uh, some of you are thinking about how nice we'd be to get a cup of coffee or lie out in the sun. It's such a beautiful winter's day. I, just, I mean, you don't get winters better than this. Perhaps we should actually stop the talk at this point, have a stretch so you can uh, leave if you like. Because uh, that's what Jesus does. He finishes the talk and leaves. Uh, you might be bored. Uh, maybe they were bored, as I heard this, some of them, because, I mean, it's not what you're expecting a Jewish Messiah to say. So maybe they're bored, maybe they're scribbling on their notes because they've heard it all before. Maybe you taught it in Sunday school last week and you're going, this is nice for the kids, but not for me. Maybe you're thinking, and I've heard, I heard this, even when I was in university, EU, just another lecture, and I don't want to go to just another lecture. Just another lecture? Maybe, maybe, maybe this is just another lecture for you. Maybe, it's time, maybe we ought to give you a stretch and say, time to go. And see what, you know, maybe you want to stay and say, what does it all mean? At uh, the youth group that I used to pass at, there was one point where I was lying in bed at night thinking, I wonder if people really care. I wonder if people are really interested. I know they were, but it was one of those moments where you, you know, you think about what you're doing, you go, am I really making any difference? And I thought, we came up with this part of the Bible, and I, I thought about some idea that I, I had, that I wish I had the courage to do, but I didn't do it. Which is this, I want to order good pizza beforehand, then come to the meeting, five o'clock, I normally meet, sing a few songs, have an announcement or two, and then tell this story in 30 seconds, which you can do, right? Um, tell a story about how seeds grow best when they're not on rocky places or thorns or parts. Um, but they grow best when they're in good soil. And then say, okay, that's it, that's our meeting finished, you know? You're here to chill and flirt and talk to each other, why don't you go and do that at pizza? But if you really want to know, it's going to be hard for you to walk past that smell because it's, it's hurting me too. <laughs> but if you'd like to come and um, to the car park, we'll have a time together where we actually explore what that could possibly mean. How many would have come? That's why I wish I'd done it. How many would have come? 
out of 120? 20? 10? 100? I don't know. But what an interesting exercise that would have been to say, who really wants to learn? Who really wants to know what's going on? Because Jesus does that. He walks away. And you know what the disciples do? They go out of the car park. (laughs) That's what they're doing in verse 10. And in verse... Thirty-six. They go, they go out, it's like a Buddhist way, out to the car park. They say, I'd like to know something from you, Jesus. Why do you speak to the people in parables? Notice the crowds have gone and only the disciples are present. The disciples are. The text makes that clear here and even more clearer in Mark. The crowds have wandered away scratching their heads. But the disciples have come to ask a simple question, what are you doing with these stories? That is, they want to listen, they want to struggle, they want to learn. Now, some important things to say. There's no reason to believe that this 12 here, is, sorry, this disciples here are only the 12. Mark makes it clear that it's the 12 and others around him. And as you read the Gospel, you realize the disciples are only people who want to learn. That's what they are. They're learners. That's what a disciple is. A person who wears an L plate and says, I don't know, I like, I used to think I knew what my life was all about, but now, Jesus, I know that you know what that is and I'm going to find that out from you. And so I think that these disciples are the people who have actually come saying, I want to understand, I want to learn. I don't get it all just yet, but I want to. I need more from you. And there's every reason to believe that these two sections here which is verses um, 10 to 23 and verses 36 to 43, there's every reason to believe that it was said after all the parables were taught. That is, they come in verse 10 and says, why do you speak to people in parables? Only one one parable has been said so far in Matthew's Gospel. So there's a good reason to believe that Mark has arranged it so the parables are said and the disciples come to him ask privately and ask. You can actually read through the chapter and see that dynamic going on. So what did they hear when they came and asked? What did they do? When they came out of the car park, what did they get? Well, verse 11. He replied this. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. So immediately there's a divide between the, the, the disciples and the crowds or if I can put it this way, the learners and the admirers. Now that is a huge distinction. That's so profound if you think about it. There's a huge difference between an admirer and a learner. Are you merely an admirer? As a reader of the Gospel, I'm invited to the world of the learner. And I'm asked... Do I want to learn like the disciples learned? That the secret of the kingdom might be given to me? Or am I like the crowd who scratches their heads and walks away saying, this is not what my idea of what a kingdom is like, or life is about? Now I think the idea that a kingdom, let me start again, that a secret is given, <coughs> is intriguing. What do you normally do with a secret? You reveal it. You don't give a secret. That's the normal, normal verb to the idea of a secret. 
And this phrase, to give the secret of the kingdom, is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. I think the idea is that if they're a disciple or a learner, then they're on the path within the gospel of understanding the mystery of Jesus' kingdom. That his life would result in a death that would usher in God's rule on the earth. But they don't know it at this point in the gospel. It'd be a bit like Jesus taking that secret that you find out as you search the gospel, putting it in an envelope and saying to the disciples, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you, but not to them. You're on the path to understanding within the story of the gospel. You don't know everything, disciples, but you do know that I have the answer. When Jesus in John's Gospel challenged the disciples, are you going to go as well? Because loads of people walked away from him, not getting him, right? And not too high. Jesus said, are you going also? And they said, well, where else are we to go? You've got the words of eternal life. Well, we don't have all the answers, but we know you've got the answer. We haven't yet undone the envelope, which is going to happen after his resurrection, but we're here and we're fighting for it, we're listening to Jesus, we're coming back for more, we're trying to understand. I think if you figure out that Jesus has something about him that's right, you have something going for you. But if you've decided that Jesus is hick, then according to the Gospel you have nothing which makes sense of verse 12. Whoever has will be given more and he'll have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And then he comes out and says, I tell you why, I speak in parables. Verse 13, here's why, and you can follow the structure on the bottom right hand side, by the way, that might be unhelpful to you, but it might be helpful to you as well, and you can follow your finger down as I take you through these few verses. But Matthew has arranged the text carefully. We see in his narration and in Jesus' comments a clear and ordered structure which brings together seeing, but not really seeing, hearing, but not really hearing, and its effect on the heart. And it centres around this, in the middle bit there about eyes, which is this, that they've closed their eyes, and so God's not going to open them. Right there in the, the middle section. Let me, let me take a talk briefly. He says, I speak in strange stories so that those seeing, they're not really seeing. Those hearing, they're not really hearing. You know the difference between hearing and not hearing? Uh, you know your parents say, said to you when you were growing up, you've got selective hearing. We actually understand the idea of hearing and not hearing. <coughs> Jesus is saying, quoting Isaiah chapter 6 and saying, well that's what's happening. And it explains the willful sinfulness of the people to whom Isaiah prophesied. They see, but they don't really see. See, in them, uh, uh, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You can see that now, point number B. Where it fills out the quote, You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You'll ever be seeing, but never perceiving. That is, you hear these stories, but you just walk away and don't really hear. And you'll never be doing that. So Isaiah was told to be the prophet to Israel and you expect him to go to Israel who do not want God. You expect him to go, hey, what we do, right? Hey, God really loves you. He really does. I mean, he really does. And I've got a little bumper sticker that says that God loves you and we want you to know that. I know you don't want God, but we want you to know. No, he doesn't do that. In fact, in Isaiah, he goes to the 
to the people and speaks against them. Text says to make their hearts hard. Why? Because their hearts are already hard. You can see that in verse 15. For this people's heart has become calloused. What a great image. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. That is, in Isaiah's time, they hear it, but they don't get it. Because they don't want to get it, so God won't force them to have it. God doesn't come with his hat in his hand and beg you, or beg Israel to listen. He commands Israel to listen. So he says, otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Now this is a difficult passage but most important when it comes to understanding Old Testament prophets. And one level it's as simple as this. God is a just God and if Israel will not listen he won't make them listen. If they won't listen then he won't necessarily make it easy in fact he'll make it harder. Consider in Amos 8 because the people did not want to hear the word of God in Amos 8 it says there will be a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. If you don't want to hear it, I'll grant you that request. If you're heart to heart, I'm not going to come with my hat in my hand. And Jesus is saying, that's the same ministry I have here in the parables. If you don't want it. Then Jesus turns to his learners, to his disciples and says, but blessed are your eyes because they see. So there's a movement from the people who are just walking away to the people who want to learn. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, the pro- many prophets and righteous men, they longed. They wanted to see what you see, but they didn't get to see it. And hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So there's this turnaround. Israel, who did not want to hear or granted their requests, they did not hear or see or understand. But the learners, the disciples, do hear, do see and do understand and they're called blessed, fortunate, if we believe in fortune. Lucky, if we believe in luck. The people you, you most envy, if we believe in envy. The, the guys who've got it. <coughs> then Jesus explains the parable of this of the soils in the privacy of his learners who want to know. Frederick Beekner said this. He said, parables as with jokes. If you have to have it explained, don't bother. What a profound thing to say, isn't it? That is with a parable, you you you're gonna go and work to find out what it's about. Not going to make it easy for you necessarily. I'm glad Jesus didn't take Beekner's advice because he does explain a parable. Because he knows that there are people who want to know. He says this There are four soils, which are four types of people responding to the word about this kingdom. Actually, there are really only two types those who bear fruit and those who don't, long term. So in verse 19, the following. The soil that falls on the path is one where the evil one immediately snatches it away. Someone who comes to Jesus and too quickly says, no way. Blind cynicism, which by the way, ironically, is very similar to the blind faith. But 
the idea is that you're eternally neutral, you don't really care. The rocky ground is someone who takes the words about Jesus' kingdom and has joy, but gets sucked out as soon as trouble comes, a bit of persecution, get tired of opposition, right? Why are you always swimming against the... I can't keep swimming against the tide. Preaching Jesus talks about the first. It's interesting how transitions are often the times when people give it up, when they have the first chance that they have to not think about the kingdom, they take it up. And you guys have just finished C12. You'll know lots of people who just who were going to a youth group house with you and now aren't. It really took a month from the finishing of school. It's funny how transitions do that. First year of university. First year of work for you guys who are a little bit older. Um, why is it that a lot of us, even those of us who are friends of joy, a lot of us decide not to follow Jesus at the moment some conflict arises, say the first genuine attack from a family member, a parent, that's painful. Or a boyfriend or a girlfriend who's not interested in your faith. And so, you, you know, actually you go out the door. Um, or the thorns. is someone who takes the words about Jesus' kingdom and receives it, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth trumps it. Um, the worries of life and the, you know, the money kind of wins you over or the, the promotion stops you from hearing. The possibility you could take over your mum's business or your dad's business. Um, when the company starts wooing you with overseas trips and you just go, I can't believe I'm in Monaco. Five-star accommodation. For a training weekend. Not learning anything. But boy, I love being here. Our first mortgage, first trip to Europe or to Asia, you're sitting in some island in the South China Sea and you're going, oh, I'm not, this is not for me anymore. And suddenly you decide that the simple stories of a Jewish carpenter have little to, start, little to do with what you decide to call real life. But the fruit is someone who takes the words about Jesus' kingdom and takes it seriously and understands it. They see it and perceive it. They hear it and understand it. They ask the question, what do you mean, Jesus? And they go and find out. I don't know, but I'm going to go and find out. I'm happy to have the secret with the possibility that it might be revealed as I read the Gospel and they bear fruit, which is a long-term thing, right? 100 times? 60? 30? Doesn't matter. We're not talking about um, competition here. We're just talking about hearing, understanding and it bearing fruit in your life in some way. I guess the point is this. We're going to be fertile in our hearts in our minds, if I can put it this way, in our souls, we've got to be fertile. I guess the point is this, we've got to want to want to learn. Uh, not just want to learn, by the way, not going to get, we're not going to let you get away with that. Yeah, I want to learn. No, 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 no. You've got to want to want to learn. Um, I was thinking about this the other day when I was driving in. You've kind of got to... Um, the last load of people didn't get this, I'm not sure. But this guy's a special crowd. You've got to want to want to learn. And you've got to want to want to learn. In other words, you've got to want to learn. That is, 
Hands up who gets that. Oh, special crowd. <laughs> That's why Jesus says, whoever has will be given more and will have it in abundance. It's exponential. If you have uh, just some, uh, a heart that's not calloused, it says, I'm out of here because it's just hick stories. Then Jesus says, I'll give you more as you go along. If you struggle to understand it, some of us come from a Christian culture where we think we know it all, and so you come in to go, a story about a parable. I know, I'll, I'll never, never forget when I was in year 12 and uh, I was at a, 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 a camp where they, where they said they were doing John's Gospel, and I walked in saying, Oh, that's fine, I know this. You. But, but what was I thinking? <laughs> so I think that attitude I had put me very, very close to the people that walked away. Have you struggled to understand it? Because with all these stories, except for the net, the reader doesn't get an explanation. I guess Jesus is saying, with two of the parables, I'll get you started. But you don't work out the rest. I mean, there are things to say. But go and do it. Go and get a commentary. Leave this room. I don't even know what Fisher Library is like. Go find something good in there. Go and walk in the great library down there. Go and read something on this. Um, uh, go to your Bible for a little and say, I want to meet with you at 8 o'clock in the morning. Sure, they'll be pleased with that. Let's see if they really care. <laughs> go speak with them and say, can I read a parable with you for four weeks? And try to figure out what it's saying. I'll give you a couple of books to read if you like. There's Michael Kwan here. Who was he the last two? He got two. Two? Asus. Asus. Great. See, there's the guy who wants to learn. Go ask him if you know him. Go ask him why he thinks the parable of the kingdom and the parable of the man searching for a pearl is not about us but about Jesus. He's the one going searching. He's not quite sure yet, but go ask him why he thinks that. I think that's a pretty impressive thought just to have a look at it. He wants to learn from Jesus Christ. Or ask Andrew Kelly about why the Jewish expectations of the kingdom make these parables a shock. I think there are things you can learn from here. You might find something like, and from these parables, I'm not going to explain them all, because I think the point is you've got to go and work them out. It would be wrong if I actually said, oh, by the way, here it is, and then you said, oh, gee, that was interesting, that last little bit. No, you, you, you don't have to get a commentary about that. It's not about that. Just read them. <laughs> I think you'd learn something like this. Jesus' kingdom is not about Jewish people just coming up and having a revolution. It is, in fact, about individuals being judged and God doing that in his time. You'd learn that. I think. You'd learn something like this. Jesus setting up his rule on the planet Earth is actually about small beginnings. It's about him beginning small. Jesus is here talking and people are walking around and look at this. One in four success rate for Jesus. My tongue's in my cheek when I say that. But it's a small beginning. But it will grow like cheekily hidden yeast. It's more about people coming to realise that this kingdom is not about an October revolution. It's not about a political move. It's about hearing right and knowing God and wanting to know God. So Jesus did not pick up a sword, he picked up words. And the words he picked up, the words he picked up were, I'm going to pick up a cross. And you say, what does that really mean? Uh, my answer is, <coughs> go find out. 
Parables are not meant to simply make things clearer, like a good illustration, good for Sunday school, although sometimes it does. Um, my wife says, it is incredible how kids get this and love it. And adults teach it and are bored by it. Don't you think it's ironic that the, the, the set of parables that we're often bored by are the ones that are meant to prompt us to think about who Jesus is? The parables are not meant only to condemn, although they certainly do that as people walk away. The parables spoken to the crowds do not simply convey information nor, nor simply mask it, but they challenge every hero to ask the simple question of Jesus Christ, what do you mean? I'm not afraid. Father, we love being here on a Thursday at this new meeting. We ask you that you'll bless this particular meeting with people who uh, want to love Jesus Christ and want to want to learn from him and mould their lives his way. Father, please help us to do the hard work in our hearts and in our heads with who Jesus is. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name, Amen.